I'm standing in front of the State Department where earlier today the headquarters of America's counterterrorism apparatus received a videotape from El Lobo, or The Wolf, a Colombian terrorist who officials believe is responsible for at least seven bombings, including the most recent at the Colombian consulate in Los Angeles. Isn't the bombing here in fact just a brutal act of terrorism? The Wolf did nothing but bring to the United States what the United States has brought to Colombia. But surely the killing of innocent people like Ann and Matt Brewer is a terrorist act. The deaths of the mother and the little boy are regrettable. It's called collateral damage. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of Collateral Damage. With all due respect, that's the absolute worst thing you can do at this point. Hosted by Brock. Yes, sir. he's one of us. He can handle it. Stuart. Hey, wild man. You want furlough from the psych unit? And Arnie. Don't even look at those guys unless you can kill them. But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. This could be tough to watch, sir. We hope you enjoy the show. Heads up. Let's do it. Today we're talking about Collateral Damage. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Elias Kotias, Francesca Neri, Cliff Curtis, John Leguizamo, John Turturro, directed by Andrew Davis. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. And Stuart. And this is the Now Playing co-host into Discipline and Punishment, Arnie. And we're back with the last action movie for Arnold that we're going to cover. Obviously, the man has kept working. He has movies probably even this year. But we're stopping at this point because, for the most part, this is the end of his theatrical releases, with the exception of Expendables and Terminator films. The last of his solo action films that got theatrical distribution. And because he switched gears, too. And both for the same reason. 9-11. This movie was supposed to come out like three weeks after September 11th, and they pulled it. Which makes a lot of sense considering what the movie's about and how close to home it would hit. But it came out, I would argue, too close to 9-11 even then. They came out in February of 2002, right? So yeah, it was way too close to 9-11 for people to want to see a movie like this, and they put it out anyway. Well, there is a bonus feature on the DVD that has them talking about this movie post-9-11 and how they had test audiences saying that, yes, it was the right decision to hold it. I don't think after 9-11, anybody knew how big 9-11 was going to be. And so what they said was they wanted kind of 9-11 to pass. I think they thought it would be like the first World Trade Center bombing or the Oklahoma City bombing, where it's a big deal for a short period of time. They didn't realize 9-11 was going to be something memorialized like Pearl Harbor Day. They really need to get their head out of their ass then. I think most of us knew that was going to be something we remember for the rest of our lives. And, I mean, just hearing them talk, that's the impression I got. And they thought that February, there was enough distance there that they could make a movie about a terrorist bombing in the United States and nobody was going to not want to see that. I'll say I didn't want to see this. When it came out, I was like, no, does not do it for me. Arnold hadn't made a good movie in a while. I'd seen all of them up to that point, and I didn't want to think about terrorist bombings at that point. I skipped this one entirely until now. 
maybe they thought that because he's a firefighter in this, and firefighters have now become, even though people always revered firemen, after 9-11, firemen and their sacrifices of the firemen who died just by going into the buildings to try to save other people, maybe they thought that that part of this movie would be helpful for folks to watch this movie in February of 2002. Maybe that's their thinking. Maybe I'm helping them with that. No, no, it's a good point. But I saw this movie for the first time, once again, when I went back and watched the Arnold movies that I missed about five or six years ago now. And so I remembered this one. I did not remember the sixth day all that much. This one I do remember watching and how I thought about it before. So I was looking forward to revisiting it, maybe thinking that with five more years of life experience or six more years of life experience, maybe that I would connect to the movie in a different way. I, of course, didn't see it, but I don't think I knew. I remember it coming out and laughing that it did so badly. I don't think I knew that it was about terrorism on U.S. soil. They really overemphasized the Latin American part of it. I think in the trailers that I saw, they disguised the idea that they were in any way touching on homegrown terrorism. And this could be seen as like another commando, right? Arnold Schwarzenegger on revenge for the family going into the jungle, infiltrating the enemy. That's what this movie could be. If this was made 15 years earlier, that's what this movie would be. But instead, because Arnold is in his 50s, he's going for a more cerebral piece. He talked in the bonus features about really trying to stretch his acting and giving a real performance here. Yeah, it's the kind of movie you'd normally give to like Harrison Ford, maybe, or something. There's that kind of dramatic actor that does action. This requires more of that acting than your typical shoot 'em up than Commando ever would. Yeah, but again, we talked about this on the last episode with the sixth day that Arnold's going for a more everyman character at the beginning of the movie put into an extraordinary circumstance. And yes, you do think of a Harrison Ford, but when Harrison Ford is put into those kinds of situations, he is set up with the tools that would make the extraordinary situations he goes into plausible. So we'll talk about it as we go into the movie, but I think that even if not a Harrison Ford, even if you had someone, but I do think it has to be an older person, even a Willem Dafoe could do this and give some aspects to it that Arnold doesn't have the baggage that an Arnold Schwarzenegger would have going into a, a plot like this. Which is what makes this movie so interesting, is that it will struggle to be that old Arnold shoot him up while taking on the concerns of the very contemporary and relevant. And it's also worth pointing out that Arnold at this point, even when he was making it, before 9-11 happened, was already sort of like, you know, this movie's not going to be that big for me. I am watching what Gray Davis is doing in California and not liking it. People were calling him and encouraging him to get into politics, to run to be California's next governor. He was already set to do that. When this thing comes out, Maria flat out tells him, you can forget this thing. It's over. And so he, from this point forward, even before the movie's release, he is actively working on Terminator 3 being his goodbye to movie acting and stepping into politics. Where he, I'm not a Californian, but from the things I've heard, he did about as well as he did in this movie. <laughs> yes, he found out that problems cannot be solved as easily as making wisecracks and talking tough. 
teachers and nurses unions found out that he was not their friend. And well, I'll leave you to explore that history on your own. But yes, I don't know that his political career is the right step, but it is a step away from what he's doing here, which is why this is the last Arnold action movie that we're going to cover. Also worth pointing out, he's working with a credible action director, someone that a decade before was on the A-list. Director Andrew Davis, who had got an Oscar nomination for The Fugitive. I mean, that was up for Best Picture. Okay, so Fugitive is one of my favorite action movies of all time. I love Harrison Ford. I'm, of course I do, of my age. Of course I love Harrison Ford. But The Fugitive is much more than just a typical Harrison Ford action movie like, say, Clear and Present Danger or Air Force One or Patriot Games that were around the same time. Or, and then those came after The Fugitive. The Fugitive has a great script, has great acting, has a great role for Harrison Ford and every man who has to clear his own name. A great plot. It's filmed amazingly well. Andrew Davis also did Under Siege the year before, which was a big hit for Steven Seagal with Tommy Lee Jones also. If you have not seen The Fugitive or if you have not seen The Fugitive in quite some time, check it out. It still holds up. I revisited it recently because I want to know if I could show it to my kids because I love it so much. And so Andrew Davis, to me, is one of those directors like, oh, he's doing this? I'll check it out because it's Andrew Davis. He gives me hope that I'm going to see something that I'm going to enjoy. But beyond those two movies and this one, I don't know if I've seen anything else he's done. Chain Reaction? Chain Reaction was awful, awful. I remember people really turning on him very quickly. He made a little non-action movie with Andy Garcia called Steel Big, Steel Little. And then he made Chain Reaction, and he was off the A-list. And like Arnold in 2001, he's really struggling to gain back his action bona fides. That's why he's coming here on Collateral Damage. Yeah, I've seen most of his movies. A Perfect Murder, I remember seeing that one when it was new on video. Not a good movie. I'd say the only one we haven't called out that I thought was pretty good back in the day, I haven't seen it in 20, 30 years, Above the Law with Steven Seagal. And Sharon Stone, I believe. Yeah, she's in that too. I think he did the two best, probably the only two watchable Steven Seagal films. I guess <laughs> you could call Executive Decision a Steven Seagal film. Mm. Yeah, I saw Holes with Shia LaBeouf and Sigourney Weaver, and we recently watched it with the children. And that's a pretty good adaptation of that book too. So if you've read the book, I think it holds up pretty well. So that's an enjoyable movie. I missed The Guardian with Kevin Costner which I will go back and do. But again, if I see his name, I'm like, oh, okay. I, it instantly has notoriety for me, but I'm not going back and watching this filmography on purpose. I just happen to have seen a lot of what he produced. He feels like he's the one. I don't know. I didn't watch any bonus features, but it feels like he's the one that's trying to make this Oscar caliber. You know, there is that, that breed of movie like The Killing Fields or Missing or something, you know, like where there is like chasing and thriller elements even though it's about this important subject. The 80s had a lot of these kind of movies. It feels like half the time, this movie has concerns that feel very weighty. And then he turns and realizes, you know, he goes to look in the call the star out of his trailer to film the scene. And he goes, oh, fuck, I've got Arnold. <laughs> and so we have to figure out a few Arnold things to do in here as well. And it's a very unusual marriage of popcorn and Oscar bait. Let's get into it. Arnie, give him a plot, and we'll find out what got damaged in collateral damage. Arnold Schwarzenegger is Washington, D.C. firefighter and grieving father, Gordy Brewer. 
Gordy lost his wife and young son in a terrorist bombing done by Colombian freedom fighter and drug lord El Lobo, or The Wolf. Gordy is underwhelmed with the U.S. government's efforts to bring The Wolf to justice, so Gordy decides to take matters into his own hands. He flies to Colombia, and using his intuition and firefighter skills, he heads into The Wolf's den. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no disrespect to firefighters, but I just don't see that as an infiltration skill. He sets a bomb that will kill the wolf and avenge his wife and son. But when the wolf's wife and son approach the bomb, Gordy realizes what he's doing is as bad as what the wolf did in DC. Gordy warns the wolf's wife away from the blast zone, allowing the wolf to survive as well. The wolf takes Gordy hostage and tries to ransom the firefighter to the US government. Instead, the CIA takes Gordy's situation as an excuse to send in the military choppers and blow up the wolf's operation and kill most of his men. But the wolf had already left before the CIA attack. He is returned to Washington, D.C., where he plans to set another bomb. The wolf's wife, Selena, says she can help the CIA stop this bombing, that she knows what location will be bombed next. So Selena, Gordy, and Selena's son are flown to D.C. and taken to CIA headquarters to identify the building targeted by the wolf. But Gordy realizes in the nick of time that this is all a ruse. Selena hasn't turned against her husband. She's his partner in terrorism. The plot the whole time has been to bomb the CIA headquarters. The wolf doesn't have the bomb. Selena does, smuggled in as one of her son's toys. And Gordy is able to throw it out of the CIA building seconds before it goes off. It was so obvious. It was unbelievable that that was a plot point. Oh my god. That is amazing. Always check your dinosaur for bombs. This leads to a chase to catch Selena and the wolf. The CIA has no ideas, but Gordy chases Selene to the tunnels under the CIA building where the wolf is riding a motorcycle to pick up his wife. Gordy uses his firefighter know-how to poke holes in natural gas lines, and when <laughs> Selena tries to shoot Gordy, the spark from her pistol ignites the gas. <laughs> oh, shit. <sighs> oh, my God. Both the wolf and Selena are killed in the blast, but Gordy is unharmed and ready to raise Selena's son as credits roll. <laughs> Okay, taking a deep breath. All right. all right. Sorry we're laughing at the plot summary, but I mean, there's some aspects of this thing that... Yeah, it's not all mockable, but there are, again, there are parts where they have to be Arnold that are just really out of sync with where this movie's at and where the country is at then and now, I think, in terms of terrorism. You mentioned, and I, I think you're right, firefighters were very much, as we were grieving and processing our pride and the woundedness of how we could be such a tough country and take such a hit, we really did elevate the rescue workers, firefighters in particular. I almost wonder, was that added last minute? When we have this opening scene with Arnold jumping around a burning building saving an old lady, it's presented as a dream sequence that his wife is having. It doesn't feel connected with what's going on, and I almost wonder if they like rushed that out to try and give him something more likable. So I had the same thought you did, but throughout the movie, he is called the firefighter. And so to have put that in, it seems like it's a whole different sequence and a whole different action scene than the rest of this movie. Totally. So I had the same thought you did, but they keep on calling him the firefighter, his best friend who brings over the specialist. It's too many firefighter things going on that 
it seems that it's just a wonderful coincidence, if you will, that he's a firefighter, and that's something that the audience can then have instant sympathy for, given the time, and still currently, because we still do very much revere our first responders and rescue workers. So it certainly seems like they came across the right profession in that aspect for the character. For everything else that happens in the movie, I think it's a terrible choice for occupation for this character. This opening had me turning on the subtitles, because I couldn't understand a damn thing that was being said in this fire rescue. Agreed. I couldn't understand a word of it, and those masks were muffling everything. But then I had a thought, Arnie. It doesn't matter. Yes. The dialogue they're saying doesn't matter, because you could just see everything that's going on through the body language and the smoke and the fire, him jumping across and having his axe save him from the fall, etc. There are other places in the movie where I feel the dialogue is undermixed, but yes, I agree. Here, that may be the point, is that you're trying to get lost in the chaos of the fire where you can't hear what your partners are saying and things. And we get to see Gordy is a hero. Everybody else is like, we need to get out, we need to get out. Gordy's going to jump over a chasm of fire and use his axe to grab this other side and pull himself up and save some people from the building. As a scene, this works. This works completely as a scene. It's right out of backdraft. Mm -hmm. It certainly plays well. You get an idea of Gordy as a hero in that aspect of this or that. He's able to do extraordinary things and circumstances if that's what they're using to set this up. But I liked this opening scene until she wakes up from her dream. Maybe this is something that I don't know from personal experience. I have to think that wives of firefighters and policemen and soldiers often have these kinds of dreams about their spouses and loved ones who are in that sort of situation. But I thought it was kind of a cheat. Wouldn't it have been kind of neat that if it was an actual thing that happened, or if it was, it wasn't a dream of hers. Her waking up from this dream kind of cheats out the whole thing. I wonder if we'll just pretend the idea was always in the script. Was she the reason why he stepped away? Because he seems to be retired. At the start of this, like he's free in the middle of the day to go pick them up from a doctor's appointment. I don't know what he's got going on. That seems to be a dream of his past life and not his present domestic life. Because we see him playing with Erector sets and not really having a whole lot going on here. Maybe he's a captain. Maybe he's been promoted because he's older and he's done the frontline stuff and now he's in the office. Can we just say it's really underdeveloped? We don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. And it might have been more there and then they in the fiddling of this movie. They didn't have time to add all of the firefighter stuff. I think you're right about that. But they might have tweaked things to try and put the best face forward in a politically sensitive time. So storylines that might have seemed to have played prior to 9-11 are completely gone. And just all of a sudden, he is there on the scene when their whole outdoor dining patio explodes because it's right next to the Colombian consulate. I was a little surprised that they actually call out Colombia. And again, it makes me think that originally this movie was going to be much more political and talking about U.S. and South American relations. I know that at this time there was a lot of talk about Noriega, who had sort of been an ally of America and then was seen as a fall guy for our double-dealing politics. Oliver Stone was arguing he should be released. And again, it's just a political hot button that certain political directors really wanted to explore. And I wonder if maybe this movie had ideas about that. I think they changed Colombia. I'm pretty sure what I was reading was something about Middle East, like Libya was the mm. original concept, and they switched it to Colombia. Maybe Libya was 280s versus when this was coming out. 
a Colombia where South America was more topical. But while the drug stuff was topical, I can't say when I think of terrorism, I think of South America. Right. I can't say that when I think of terrorism, I think of drug lords. They seem much more interested in profits than terror. And while they certainly would want the CIA out of their business, I haven't heard of, and maybe I missed it, but I haven't heard of a single drug lord bombing someplace in the United States to try to get a political point across. When I think of that, I do tend to think of the Middle East from the 1980s airline hijackings to 9-11. Yeah, and again, that's probably why they didn't want to go with the Middle East, is because there had been a picture, The Siege, I think it was called, with Denzel and Bruce Willis and Annette Benning that had sort of dealt with that. And I remember it not being bad. Ed Zwick made it, but it took a lot of heat from political activist groups in the portrayal of Middle East politics. And I just think that that is a very sensitive topic. People react when you portray a certain people as terrorists. And so by making it South Americans, it's almost like making it an apolitical, political terrorist. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, it doesn't matter where they're from. They're just a terrorist. Well, also, the Colombian drug angle, I thought they were funding the terrorists as the only connection to it. And so that is like two different aspects of this. There was the drug lord and there there were terrorists. And the connection between the two is tenuous at best. Certainly, I don't want to get too political here, but if you look at the history of CIA involvement in South America, we have a lot of blood on our hands. And I wonder how much the screenwriter might have wanted to explore that. There you go. That's possible. But I like the scenes in the beginning of this movie before the bombing with Arnold and his son. I think it perfectly conveys the relationship he has with this young boy. It's implausible that he's married to this woman in my mind, but okay. But this little boy is adorable. And he and Arnold in the shower and playing together. I completely bought that. I really like that connection between the two of them. And so when we get to the scene at the outdoor plaza and they're setting up the whole thing for him to die, it was, I think, effective in a movie sense of building the relationship this father has with his son. And I thought Arnold did quite well in that scene. It was fine shorthand. I'm kind of glad that they don't prolong this opening very long. I couldn't believe, actually how quick into this movie mm. it is yes. that the bomb is going off. That seems almost like a mistake, but maybe not given where this movie's going to go. It's like, all you need to understand is you had a family and now they're gone. We don't really need to know about them. They were just props to justify his vengeance. And you never want things to feel that diagrammed. You always want us to make us care about people and not just plot points. But I get Arnie's point. Let's just get into it, if that's what this movie's about. But in The Fugitive, if you remember Andrew Davis's movie that I love, they do this, that. They do a very quick montage of the wife getting killed in the beginning of the movie, to great effect for later in the movie, of course. But to that point of going so quickly, from the beginning of the movie, him being a firefighter and his family dying, to him getting to Columbia is, what, 20 minutes? It's almost too fast how fast he gets in there, and they do a lot of shorthand to get him there with a voiceover of a specialist that his fire friend happens to know. But before I jump there, there's a scene where we get set up with Elias Cotias, who is the CIA guy. He was the target, I guess, of the bomb. And the diplomats he was escorting inside the consulate. And there's a scene with Miguel Sandoval and an African-American actor who I did not like his line readings for, who are questioning Arnold and bringing him in to identify the faces of people. And I thought Arnold was really good 
in the scene where he's watching the explosions and seeing the motorcycle cop on the screen again, I honestly felt Arnold's performance there deserves note. I honestly felt he did really, really, really good in that scene. And we give a lot of crap to Arnold about how he can act on these podcasts. I want to point out when he can. This scene was great. He was very, very compelling in this scene. I'll agree. I think that I also noticed that I don't expect Arnold to be as subtle as he was here. And he did very well. For Arnold, can I add that qualifier? (laughs) I feel like for Arnold, yes, I'll give you that. I feel like there are actors that could have gone deeper, but whatever. I will not take this away from him. Yes, he does not instantly grab the machine gun and strip down to the wife beater and go crazy. We do have some time to show him humble in the hospital. I mean, he got hurt in that blast too, and it pains him to wake up and realize not only did his wife and child die because of a terrorist bombing, some political act, but he was standing right next to the guy, posing as a traffic cop. He should have known. If the traffic cop ever says, yeah, you can park illegally, that is an imposter. (laughs) They've never said that, ever. The other thing that they bring up a couple times and yet doesn't seem to bother Arnold as much as I think it would, he was late. If he'd shown up on time, they'd be alive. But for reasons we will never know, he was late. Well, actually, if he was showed up on time, all three of them might have died, theoretically. Well, yes, you could play that game several ways. They could all be dead or he have gotten there. I don't know how long they were eating the hot dog. The kid was eating a hot dog for a while. If he had been there 30 minutes before, they'd been long gone. Although with LA traffic, maybe they would have just been around the corner. Did you guys notice at the funeral, there's only one casket? Didn't two people die? Hmm. I didn't notice that. I mean, they wouldn't have separate funerals for a mother and son. I don't know. I have thankfully never been to that kind of funeral. But it just seemed to me it was strange that they only showed one casket. And very quickly, Arnold decides that the FBI is inadequate to solve his problems of revenge to get back at these folks. So where the CIA and the FBI are unable to kill off this political terrorist, he feels he is personally able and equipped to go into Colombia very quickly with the advice of his firefighter friend's buddy who has chest hair that goes on for days. I haven't (laughs) seen chest hair like that in a guy since the 70s when people's shirts were wide open. So distracting. But he feels character development through chest hair. Arnold feels totally equipped and he has to be compelled to go down there and do what other people can't because he has zero training in this situation. And that's my issue with him being a firefighter. If he was, you know how in Commando they set him up, Harrison Ford is a CIA guy, so he had some training, so he's able to go and clear and present danger or Patriot Games and have to take care of business. There is zero information that we have about this character that he is equipped to go down to South America to take out this guy. He isn't equipped, and that's the ridiculousness of this, that you just have to say, he's Arnold, so he's equipped. But a firefighter would not be equipped to do the things he does. A regular person would not be. You would have to have special commando training. Arnold from Predator would probably be equipped to do this mission. Agreed. This Arnold is walking into death. It is really a not great idea. But again, you're saying that that it sounds like that's a complaint? Yes! I actually think that's meeting the moment. That is actually where we were at, where we were wounded and we were acting blindly. 
and we ended up invading the wrong country and, and causing other chaos. America was exactly at this moment when this movie is released of being so blinded by rage that it could not be rational about who to attack and why. And he's wounded for two reasons. One, he's mad at himself because he could have stopped the guy before the bomb went off, before his motorcycle exploded, or so he thought, or he could have gotten there in time to get his kids. But also because the title of this movie comes out, there's some, what idiot would put this on the news? But they find some political group that is allied with El Lobo in America, and they say, well, if people die, that's collateral damage. El Lobo has the moral right in this. Because of Elias Coteus, this gets kind of undersold, but because of what he was doing down in South America, El Lobo was right to take out this plaza. And so Arnold goes and beats up on the guy in his office, and he ends up being the one tased and arrested in all of this. It gets at the injustice of the man who lost his family is made the criminal, while the people that support the terrorists are allowed to say what they want on TV news. I understand all of what you're saying, Stuart. And later in the decade, what you're saying also still completely applies. But even Batman in 2005, they had to give him a reason and a knowledge. The whole movie of Batman Begins is him training to be able to fight injustice in his city. A lone man who is tired of the injustices comes out. They made that movie after 9-11, and it's very much influenced by 9-11, but they mm -hmm. still give him a whole bunch of training to be able to beat the crap out of people. Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie is a 50-year-old fireman. They may have dropped a line that he had previous military training, but if they did, I missed it this viewing because even if it's tenuous at best, I don't care that every American's angry and wants to go out there and do something about it. I mean, I do care, but my point is, in the movie concept, it's bad writing that this man does not die on his first trip down there. It's too unbelievable that this man is able to do what he does in this movie. As easily as he does. But he doesn't. I just want to stress, he actually fails a lot. What this spook says to him, there's this CIA guy with the chest hair you talked about, and he's like, I know how you get into the country through Venezuela and blah, 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 blah. Okay, so there's some things that he knows that he can do, but he does spend a lot of this movie bumbling. He does get jailed. He does get captured. I feel like, again, if you didn't have Arnold and could have just an angry dad, we would understand his rage and pity that he feels he can do something about it. And that's where we want to be. But because it's Arnold, and because eventually it's going to become this cartoonish, I can make bombs and blow up your cocaine factory kind of plot, then it does become unacceptable. But I don't think, in the beginning, it just kind of feels like Apocalypse Now. And I do feel that reference comes up again and again, if he were Martin Sheen going on a suicide mission into a bleak mission that he probably doesn't think he'll come back from, if we had that total sensibility, we can understand that. And I do get an Apocalypse Now feeling, especially during his boat ride stuff, and the voiceover that's going on, it's not his voiceover, it's the CIA guy telling him what to do, but it felt like they were trying for vague allusions to Apocalypse Now. Not vague. I feel like they're pretty cleanly drawn, and I think that's the movie Andrew Davis wanted to make. I think he really wanted to take a Heart of Darkness story structure, Apocalypse Now, and apply it to America's politics in South America, and that would have been really interesting. 
to see all the ways that we've had influence in that region, how we treated communism and its growth there. Great movie to be made there. But then you cast Arnold Schwarzenegger as an angry dad, and you just have to make concessions that this movie can't survive. You would never have the third act that this movie has in that movie. You would never go there with the terrorists is now back in Washington somehow, and we got to go back and get him. No, you would never do that. You would make it about getting to the terrorist like he's Marlon Brando at the end of the river. You would just follow that to its darkest end. And that would be a good movie. I don't think that the premise is stupid that a dad is so blinded by rage that he takes on a suicide mission. If it were played like this guy knew he was not going to come back alive from it. It wasn't, though. No, because it's Arnold and because he won't die. It's also because it's underwritten in that aspect, Stuart. So, so many aspects of this movie are written well and they set things up, but to have this man do internet research and then break into Columbia, it's insane. Oh, that's hilarious. But again, some of that is criticism. You're saying that this movie justifies that because ultimately it does. But you could, I mean, I think when his friends come over and they see his house is full of maps he pulled off of Google, <laughs> there is sort of a judgment of like, okay, dude, I don't know what you think you can do. But you're not this guy. You're not capable of this. When he finally gets down there, the first thing he runs into is a roadblock where everyone on the bus is, I think, going to be executed in the road. They're just indiscriminately shooting people. He's kind of doddering. He's slipping. He's falling. He's tripping. He does not look like the confident action hero we know him to be from the 80s. I'm not going along with this at all. I'm not justifying it at all. I'm having trouble. They did a good enough job in the beginning of this movie setting up who this person is, that he's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. He physically looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he's not an Arnold Schwarzenegger typical character. You don't think a dad could get this far? You don't think a dad could get on a bus? I think a dad could get to the bus. A bus? You could not get into Columbia through Ecuador that way. Sure you could. Based on internet research and a guy I know. You can't do that. <laughs> a guy from the CIA who actually knew what he was talking about. Yes. I buy it. I'm sorry. That right there is implausible. I don't buy it. Can I come down the middle and say I'm giving this film its premise and that he got in there is implausible, but I'll go with it. Now, where he goes once he gets here becomes ridiculous. Yes! Yeah, I think you're jumping ahead to how bad it gets. But in the beginning, <laughs> if you had a dramatic actor and kept the sort of grimness, you could just see that this was a foolish endeavor and it would be punishing for him to attempt this. I mean, again, he quickly will get arrested. He ultimately ends up at a festival and gets identified because, of course, he's not a local. No, where it starts to get ridiculous is where... John Turturro shows up, and I don't know why you hired John Turturro for this role. He, I thought, would be a much bigger character because it is John Turturro. He was a name at this point, but he just comes in here to be a guy that our main character here, Gordy, is going to threaten to let die if he doesn't give him the pass he needs to go upriver. Again, Apocalypse Now, just think of way Robert Duvall blows in that movie, has that amazing sequence, and then is gone from the movie. In a movie that's like a road trip, which is, again, how I would conceive of this as being a good story, every stop he's going to make will teach him about the way that North America and South America have gotten into trouble with each other. And so, yeah, here's a Canadian who is able to have privilege and do all these debaucherous things with locals. And again, 
something interesting to explore that just kind of gets glossed. Okay, so Robert Duvall is in Apocalypse Now because Robert Duvall was in The Godfather with Francis Ford Coppola, who directed both movies. So you call Robert Duvall and say, I have a really fun part for you, do this, this, and that. If this was a Gary Marshall movie, Hector Elizondo would be the John Tutoro, okay? It'd be the guy. So I have no idea what movie John Tutoro worked with Andrew Davis before, but theoretically, Tommy Lee Jones wasn't available. And so therefore, they got John Tuturo in this little role that he gets paid for, because at this point, Arnie, he was in a lot of movies, but he was not a guy who brings people into the theater. It's a nice little paycheck for him. No, but he seemed like someone that would do something improper with locals, thinking that he could because of his status. Yeah. He has that going for him, absolutely. I don't want to put him on a pedestal of Robert Duvall in Apocalypse Now. That is not a good equation in my mind. I'm saying that because this movie is following that structure. I'm not saying that the equivalents are and quality are the same. By God, we know Martin Sheen and Arnold Schwarzenegger are not the same actors. I get that. But I'm just seeing what they're trying to do here, what they're trying to build here. And I think this moment could have been interesting if it wasn't so quick to like become a jailbreak action scene. And suddenly Arnold's playing German mechanic. Oh my God, I love, I love, love, love in this movie that every action scene is going to be fire. Yeah. And it's going to play exactly to Gordy's strengths as a fireman, that he's going to know what to do in every scenario and never have anybody else be there. Everything he does, he's not just a fireman. He's like a pyrotechnics expert. Yeah, a lot of firemen do know how to start fires in different mm -hmm. ways because it's part of their job. I completely believe that part. What I don't get is the CIA seemed to have tipped off somebody that Arnold was in that prison, and the way that the terrorists decide to capture Arnold is to use bazookas and blow up the jail the man is in. If they want to capture him alive, why use bazookas? That also did not make any sense to me. I didn't think they wanted to capture him. I thought they were busting out Ramon. We saw that El Lobo has this sidekick, and... He wanted to get his psychic. A Lobo was actually part of this jailbreak, and he's like, eh, just leave him. I don't know if he knows that Arnold is here. I think he does, but I think he leaves him to burn. It wasn't to kill him or capture him. It was to get Ramon. Bad reasoning, I give you, but that is what we're expected to believe. I want my henchmen back. Too big of a coincidence. Agreed. And yeah, again, just the fact that it becomes this spectacle, you want it to be a big moment, but you... Yeah, don't ever want it to become cartoonish. And unfortunately, most of the stops along the way really stretch plausibility from this point on. But once he has the pass, he's going to head upriver to another actor who I thought would be a much bigger part in this movie when I was watching the opening credits. Dennis Hopper. I mean, again, you just have people that pop in, do their bit, die, and keep going. I mean, that to me feels true to form. You get these memorable character actors that can do a great bit. Now they're going to show you how cocaine gets made and maybe how it gets distributed in America. Good idea. John Leguizamo. Was he the guy to do it? I know he's not the guy to do the rap when we see his musical apparitions. Rap was terrible, but I've never seen how cocaine is made in a movie or in real life. I found that very educational. I feel like John Leguizamo is in a different movie where he's ad-libbing everything he's doing and everything he's saying. Because that rap bit, a lot of his excuses, like when El Lobo comes and Gordy isn't in the room, 
Maybe he's off polishing his knob. I don't believe that was in the script. I don't believe that's dialogue from the same people who wrote all the rest of the dialogue in this movie. He's doing his own thing. I kind of like it. I could use this movie to lighten up a little bit. And I feel like John Leguizamo would be the guy to do it. Mm -hmm. But they're going to kill him in five minutes. Yeah, I liked what he was doing. I thought he brought the attitude and swagger. It was a little weird that he's this kind of character in a Colombian drug ring based on the other movies I've seen about drug dealers. You don't really have this kind of guy, especially in that sort of station. But I liked the energy he was bringing here. And I thought Arnold against him was fine. I I didn't mind him at all. The rap, I minded a lot. The rest of it, the swagger, the attitude, I thought he brought energy that was much needed. Yeah, it's funny to think that somebody that is running a cartel empire export dreams of being like a celebrity rapper. That's a step up in their mind. But again, it just kind of shows that he's this naive kind of comical middle-level character. And the big bad, again, El Lobo, the problem is that they can't make him real. The problem is you want that character to be as over the top as Marlon Brando is when he comes in here. And they come up with these Bond villain kind of things of like, I'm going to feed henchmen snakes, shove a whole snake down their throat and all this stupid stuff. Can you even do that? I would think not. I don't know that the snake would want to go there because it's probably going to die. Yeah, right. Why do I want to go down this gullet? I would be turning right around and biting whoever's shoving me down there. Well, that's what I was thinking, that they were going to have him bite him inside the throat or something to make sure he dies, but to shove a snake down his throat. I thought maybe it was like a poison dart frog, you know, and you swallow those frogs and he emanates a poison, and then you pull him back out or something? I don't know. I went back to our sleepaway camp retrospective. I thought the snake might actually chew his way out of the chest the way the rats did to that guy from Sopranos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like a Scarface thing. And obviously with cocaine distribution, part of them wants you to be thinking about that Brian De Palma 1983 movie, but we can't when it's this silly. I know Al Pacino was a little silly, but this feels like Bond villain. It feels like a different movie, tonally. What I'm struggling with is that there are elements about this story that I like, but tonally we're all over the place. And this is not a good Arnold vehicle. We can all agree Arnold might be better here being more dramatically convincing than he has in other movies. But this is not a natural fit for his persona. And as he's being asked to do more and more Arnold things, like suddenly rig the lights so that they're bombs and blowing up this entire cocaine factory, that shouldn't be the story. Fireman skills, man. You can just take an engine and turn it into a bomb and put all those lights there. It's really, it's reminding me of A Nightmare on Elm Street where Nancy gets the self-defense at home book that tells her how to turn light bulbs into bombs and things like that and how to rig sledgehammers behind doors. It's silliness and that he's going to then just hang on to the bottom of El Lobo's truck to find the way to the base. Now, I believe Arnold could do that. I don't believe Gordy could do that. You know the strength it has to take you to carry yourself on that plus at a high speed of travel? For an indeterminate amount of time. Several miles. Because he was hooded to go there to begin with, remember? It was like 15 minutes, like was almost said, he put you in the hood. So you know it's at least a 15-minute drive away to where they're going. I completely believe that a fireman knows how. They know all sorts of ways that fires can start. And so he therefore uses that knowledge to his benefit of to actually make a fire happen. So that part of it I buy. 
I still don't buy that he's there to begin with and hasn't gotten killed yet. So the fact that he hangs on the bottom of a car is the 10th thing I'm finding implausible at this point. But the part I'm finding plausible is, oh yeah, that guy knows how to start a fire out of using a combustion engine for sure. Yeah, it would really help if he was CIA or something like that. Yes. If he had been Elias Coteus, then we would be on much better footing. This would just be a Jack Ryan movie, and that I can go with. But because he is an everyday, even maybe an extraordinary everyday fireman, we know that he should not confidently be taking down this entire facility. Now, I can believe he might try, and I imagine it would end up with him with a bullet in his head and a snake down his throat, apparently. But it is not convincing as drama in the way that this movie is dramatically asking us to believe that this man has gotten this far on more than good luck. And so eventually, yeah, he's rigged the whole complex of El Lobo to blow, but because he sees the same woman and his child as he did earlier, a hundred miles away at a street festival, God knows why they were there. Now he is willing to undo the bombs and get caught and become the political prisoner. This is the one. I'm with you, Brock. Firemen know what causes fires. I'm with you on that. And I kind of suspended disbelief all the way. But what I don't know that firemen know is chemistry to what chemical is going to cause the breakdown of the rubber in a rubber band. And so you can use that like a ticking time bomb on a grenade to hold in that handle. And when the chemical dissolves the rubber band, the handle will go off and the bomb will explode. See, the part I didn't buy, because I did buy that, the part I didn't buy was after he set the whole thing up and he saved the wife and child, which I do believe also, that he didn't die right there, that they didn't shoot him right there. They save him for questioning, and then a scene or two later, the wife and he argue that you have to keep him alive, keep him alive. I had so much trouble believing that man was still alive after that point that the terrorist head of the terrorist organization could not convince his own wife or even Michael Corleone, don't ask me about my business, and kept the man alive. Obviously, that's going to come into play in the third act, but at this time in the movie, it seemed to me yet another implausible thing that this man is still alive after trying to blow up a drug dealer's home. The reason is they can get money out of blackmailing the U.S. for his return. Ah, but that's not the real reason. That's the reason we're given. I know, I know. But I think, is Selena the wolf actually? I know she's the person making the videotapes. We're going to find out at the end, you know, when the wolf sends in the videotapes to America, taking responsibility for a bombing, it's actually Selena making those videos. But is she the mastermind? Because we're going to see the guy we think is the wolf yelling at Selena, why do you want to keep this man alive? And she claims something about he helped me and my son, but Selena knows this guy is the way into the CIA. So that's the real reason they're keeping him alive is because they can use him to bomb a place they could never get on their own. Yeah, well, now you're getting into the movie they never should have attached to the movie they were making. Yes. Because Hollywood formula requires these kinds of Oh, aha, but she's the real terrorist, Twist. I guess that could be fun for a popcorn movie. It does not work for a dissection on the political level that they sometimes are aspiring to here. Because this scene plays like, oh, terrorists are just like us. They can do anything they want during the day, but when their wife gets involved, we have to... It really doesn't play very well at all. It's just a hard scene to swallow now, and later on they connect it okay. But right now at this moment, it was hard to swallow. 
Yeah. The way they're really framing it is she is grateful that he saved her from being run over by a motorcycle 200 miles away at some street festival she never should have been at, particularly if she is a cartel leader's wife. She would be limoed there. There would be tons of security. She wouldn't need some random American to get her out of the way of said vehicle. That man on the bike would have been gunned down. But whatever. We're not to get into the details of all of this stuff. We're just expecting to believe that this is quid pro quo. This is, oh, my wife and child died. And now we find out she tells the story about how you're judging my husband, but he's doing the same vengeance you're doing because Americans, Elias Coteus, killed our daughter. We have a son now, but they killed our daughter. And that was when he became a political terrorist. Before that, he was just an everyday Colombian, like you were an everyday American. And the other thing, so here's this poor movie's, it's hopelessly out of its depth to speak to the moment that it's in. It's actually the right movie for the right moment, except it hasn't been presented and cast and written to actually say what it is audiences were feeling and needed to hear at this moment. But what Arnold can stumble to, the naive position he ends up taking is the reason why he is better than the terrorist when he kills, there are no collateral damage. He will just kill El Lobo and no one else has to die, which of course is not how wars are fought and nobody gets away without blood on their hands. And that's a silly position for the American to take. But that is how he can justify to American audiences, he is still the good guy of this story. And yet, within minutes of stating that, the CIA is going to find out he's a hostage and come in and kill everybody in that camp, which I found so ironic that he's just like, I'll kill only you. And then every single person dies. Well, no, but that's the difference between Arnold and Elias Coteus. We've been asked to hate Elias Coteus from the get-go, and I have been wondering why, but it's true. 9-11 happened in part because the CIA and the FBI didn't talk well with each other. So when we had those early scenes, I was like, huh, they got that part right. But they go further by saying none of this would have happened. Terrorism wouldn't have come to our soil if he hadn't been doing what he was doing with his paramilitary invading guerrilla camps that make cocaine. They're trying to say he is just as much a bad guy as El Lobo, which is why he's going to get killed in the climax as well. I think that's a strange position to take. It's almost like saying that 9-11 can be justified if we look at the politicians that make their choice. Controversial at the time, then and now, but that's what they're trying to say. And so when he raids in, yeah, it's another Apocalypse Now reference. It's the helicopter attack right down to ringing the bell and the way that it's cut. They don't have Ride of the Valkyries, but otherwise, it's the same goddamn scene <laughs> with the added thrill of Arnold, the girl, and the child running off into a landmine field and trying to sweep it as goons chase them. And then fight each other, and one of them gets hit by the mine, which then Kale tells the CIA where he is and blah, blah, blah. Was it a CIA agent that Gordy was fighting and throws a CIA agent on the landmine? That's what I took it as. No, no, it was a Colombian cartel guerrilla. Okay, because of the outfit he was wearing, I thought, damn, that's bold. You just had Gordy kill an American. No, they show up in a few minutes later. Well, actually, there was a shady guy they indicate early that was in the CIA headquarters when Elias Coteus was walking by. They gave a close-up to this guy, and then he shows up at this scene with a gun, 
and I think Arnold kills him, but I was unclear whether or not he was a mole in the CIA for the terrorists, because clearly the CIA had a mole because the terrorists were tipped off about something a couple of scenes ago. I couldn't tell if he was CIA or not, but clearly he was a bad guy, and Arnold killed him. So that's really what it is. I didn't track that, but I think you're right. There was moles. There were reasons. And again, it's not important you understand the fine details. All they're trying to say is Arnold was handling the situation in a way that the audience can respect. And this CIA is the CIA. They do things dirty and they do all of this wrong. And I think they even say here, oh, you let us right into this. We didn't get permission by the politicians to have this raid. But because you became the captive, we exploited that situation to kill all of these people and have all this collateral damage. Now, here's the thing also. So the wife befriending Arnold Schwarzenegger while he was in prison to get him on her side, to give a political asylum for she and her son, that makes complete sense that Arnold says, at this moment, bring her with us. Mm -hmm. And that all makes sense. And it seems that that was all in place because the wolf, who we told us the wolf, is already gone. He's already in D.C. Somehow. He slipped off all the way to Washington, D.C. Well, again, it's the mole who tipped them off that this is going down, that the raid was coming. So this plan was already in place that she would become a political asylum and taken back with Arnold if they survive or theoretically when they survive this raid. Although I just want to interject, I can't believe that Arnold is willing to negotiate on that information. You know the next 9-11 event that's going to happen, but you're going to withhold that unless you let this woman and child in the country? Bad politics. Mm-hmm. Agree. How that dinosaur is not scanned. <laughs> Forget about it not being scanned at the CIA headquarters when we actually see it not being scanned, which is bullshit. Yeah. Amazing. How that thing is not scanned before they even get on a plane in Colombia mm-hmm. to go is bonkers. Well, they take a CIA plane. It's not like they have to go through the TSA to get on a private <laughs> yeah. plane. I guess that's true, but it just seems like, why don't we just scan everything? Could there be a bomb on any of these persons for any reasons? It seems logical to me that they would check that. But a dinosaur toy is innocent. She's the cartel woman's wife. They would search her. They would search her son very thoroughly. But yes, this is where we get to the part where up to this point, I think you've heard me wrestling with this movie about its good and bad points. I got nothing kind to say about the climax of this film. It's super bad. It's incredibly terrible. The way he figures out that she is in on it bothers me. During the course of the movie, the husband, El Lobo, is going in the depths of the CIA with passes he's stolen with a crotch rocket motorcycle, using it as a quick way to get through these tunnels underneath. And he used a diversion of an empty suitcase in a public area of the Washington train terminal to actually set the real bomb, which is a big truck full of explosives, in the basement, or the parking garage, excuse me, of the CIA building, much like the original 1993 World Trade Center bombing. She knows the timing of all of this, the wife, and therefore tries to get her son to come with her without the dinosaur toy, leaving it behind as a first bomb, as a preliminary bomb, I guess, in the headquarters itself before the big bomb goes off, and she uses a hand gesture because he refuses to go. And she says in her mind, the way it plays is, fine, forget it, I'll leave you here, I'm just going to the bathroom anyway, which we all know is not the real reason she's leaving, because we figured out this twist. But the fact that she is able to quickly and 
without even that much remorse, leave her son behind to die is yet another hugely implausible thing for me. But that's the whole point, is that she's evil and she doesn't care like we do. Okay, but she gives a little bit of vindication that she's going to use this kid and, okay, all right, I'll leave you behind. But later on when she tries to escape, there's no indication that kid wasn't going to be part of the factor because there's no way that kid could have gone on that motorcycle with her husband anyway with her. There's no room for there. And they drop early on during that conversation which she had trying to win Arnold over to her side that this boy is adopted. So it's okay that she kills him because she's an adopted son? He's still your son. No, no, no. Brock, that's exactly why you should hate those people. This movie is playing ugly racial politics to say that America, when it engages, we love our families and these people will kill their own child. But I think the adopted son angle part of it is on purpose. And I think that's also bad writing as well. Like, that also pissed me off mm-hmm. on top of everything else. But that's not actually how he figures it out. He figures it out because the terrorist, El Lobo, has been releasing these videos where he makes these hand gestures. Right. And because she made that hand gesture, somehow that means that she was the person in the video, I guess? Yes. Yes. That's what we're supposed to think because nobody else could make that hand gesture? It's like in Patriot Games when he happens to remember a girl turn around and the ponytail flashes at a split second in the van, which is implausible. It's kind of like that here. Anyway, yes, because we must have twists and twists, we have them running off to the train station to get an empty suitcase from a hobo while she's really got the bomb in the dinosaur and running off to the bathroom to kill Jane Lynch. (laughs) Poor Jane Lynch, who's also in The Fugitive, by the way. Really? Oh, I didn't realize that. No, I, I think of her as Glee always, so this was a weird choice. Of course, but they actually filmed a whole subplot of her and Harrison Ford having an affair, but they cut it because it would make him less sympathetic for finding his wife. But she's in there, and she gives him all this information about the liver at the end. Watch the movie again. She's in there. She's not playing it for laughs. She's playing it straight. Wow. But he would explain his maid fixations. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, she's she another, another Andrew Davis person, and she gets killed in the bathroom. And this whole thing that Gordy doesn't notify the CIA, he's just going to go on his own to... Stop this. I mean, I get it. He doesn't like Elias Coteus. Coteus has been an asshole, as Gordy's going to call him to his face. That's symbolizing the problems that we have, that just because you don't like somebody else, you're not going to work with them. This is why bad things happen. And I just want to point out, it's hilarious that Arnold throws the damn dinosaur out the window so far that it explodes above the building. (laughs) (laughs) Is that part of the training after you slide down the pole? I mean, I don't know. It just seems at that point you just get the bomb out of the room, but sure. <laughs> it's so bad. It was just humorous to see him throw a toy dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> and the effects are not good either. No. I just no. want to say some of these <laughs> explosions are very unconvincing. Oh, my God. When he ran away earlier in Columbia, when he jumped into the waterfall, a la The Fugitive, the superimposing him jumping out of a tank in the back of Universal Lot of him trying to gasp for breath and then the waterfall behind him And then there are shots of a CGI guy falling down. It's horrible special effects at those points, too. Just laughably bad. Oh, yeah. There's just some really terrible green screening going on around here. And, you know, I wonder if at a certain point they just decided to stop spending money on the movie. (laughs) After 9-11, they're like, you know, polishing it might not be the number one priority. (laughs) Actually, I'm pretty confident that this movie was done before 
It was supposed to come out two weeks after. Yeah. So they might have gone in and tweaked a few things. I know they took a scene out with Sofia Vergara, famously. She talked about it on a talk show, I think, once, that she was a plane terrorist. They cut that entire sequence out of this movie. And I don't know how it would connect. Honestly, I don't. Yeah, wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah. That was a port that was cut. So they did do that, and they maybe tweaked a line here or there for reasons, but they did not go back and do reshoots on this. It was already in the can. I think they didn't spend a lot of money on this because one, Arnold still is pulling in $20-25 for salary, and they only have like an $80-$90 million budget. And, I mean, his movies just weren't delivering. He hasn't had a real solid hit since True Lies. It's been eight years. But now we get to the final end where they're having the chase in the elevator. I'm not quite sure what Arnold does with his belt there. I mean, I get that he wants to slow his descent, but you can't get your belt around that cable. So I'm not sure how he's slowing his descent. It just I'm sure there's something to it, but it didn't come through on my viewing what exactly was happening with that. I thought it was so he wouldn't cut his hands up. You know how like you have to you can't slide down a rope. You certainly can't slide down a metal cable without burning your hands up. So he was using that to not cut his hands to shreds. And I understand a firefighter may very well go into these sort of situations during a fire, but wouldn't it be kind of cool if he did, and I don't know what it would be, something more akin to what a firefighter would do versus John McClane with a belt using it as a zip line. Maybe firefighters can do that and are trained to do that. I don't know, and I don't want to disparage any firefighters who may be listening to this. That's not the point of what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is it came off more like a John McClane action hero beat versus a fireman who knows how to slide down metal cables with a belt that's strong enough to do that and also slow his descent. Because you're right, if he jumps onto a cable and he's sliding down, he is going to pick up a heck of a lot of speed and he probably will kill himself jumping down a shaft like that. I found it funny that he crashes through the top of the elevator as she went out the bottom, and then he has to go to the bottom of the elevator, like he has to go through the elevator just to keep following her. I didn't realize that elevators had bottom hatches. I know, of course, they have top hatches, but I never thought they had bottom ones. I don't ever think I've ever seen a bottom hatch in an elevator. Next time you're in one, pull up the carpet and check and tell me how it goes. Yeah, you're right. I have no (laughs) idea, but it seems to me that there's, I think there definitely would be a top one because you would want to go out that way, but you would just fall to your death or it would be on the bottom floor. So yeah. why would you have a bottom one? It doesn't make any sense. If you want to get them from the top of it, there wouldn't make any sense to have a bottom hatch in an elevator that I can even think of logically. But yes, Arnie, there's nice floors in elevators we don't know. Yeah, we're in an action movie, people. This is Hollywood. This is what we should be loving Arnold for doing. This should be the good stuff. I just want to remind you, this is Arnold's home turf. This is the stuff that people really like him for is all of that. Woo-wee! I actually like this because I'll be perfectly blunt. I've been checking how much time's left in this movie repeatedly. And so I like it because I know we're in the climax. The end is in sight. Well, Stuart, I always say if I'm thinking about if there are bottom hatches and elevators, it's the fault of the movie not keeping me invested in what's going on. That's exactly the same thing. In this version of that, it's I'm thinking about hatches and elevators. In other movies, I would think about the plausibility X, Y, and Z. The movie is so far gone in my mind for me to actually give a shit that it's hard for me to not think about something as interesting as, oh, I wonder if elevators have bottom hatches too. (laughs) I did like the scene with the rocket with the motorcycle in the tunnel and him using the gas. I like that idea because that does make sense of how someone would be able to stop them. It doesn't take a firefighter 
to know natural gas explodes. It's very lucky that she decides to shoot at him in the correct location to ignite the gas, and not earlier, and not holding until they were much closer. And the fact that he is not also immolated in this explosion is a bridge too far. Or passing out from all of this natural gas that's taking up the oxygen, but (laughs) hey, whatever. He actually hit so many different points in it so he could make sure that she'll shoot at the right time. But the way he protected himself was going underneath a metal stairway, and there are holes in between each one so he could see through it. Yes, he should have been burned up in that as well. But Brock, he put his hands behind his head like we did in school drills. That protects you from nuclear explosions, let alone gas lines. Duck and cover. You're right, Arnie. I totally forgot about that part. I should have wrote that down. You're right. (laughs) And of course, Selena is not dead like a slasher movie. They both come back from this burning. Like, she knows karate. She has to be thrown into, like, control panels. And I think he busts out a fire axe in the end because that's got to be his signature. Well, yes, of course he uses an axe. He used the axe to bust it open. A fireman's weapon is his axe, yes. If he has a weapon, quote-unquote, it would be an axe or a fire hose. No fire hose available, an axe. And the wolf says, when is it you're going to kill me? No! And he throws the axe like a lumberjack and hits the wolf in the chest. It has become a, a grotesque parody of what people used to like, not me, but people used to like about Arnold action movies. Yeah, and, you know, if you throw a hatchet that close, you might get that. But an axe, it seems like he should have chopped him versus throwing it like a hatchet. He could have actually used an axe to chop him, which would have been more realistic for him to get stuck by the axe. But it's a movie, and I'll go with that, I guess. But just another bad choice in this movie full of bad choices. And then the piece de resistance is the terrorists are dead, and they saved a major bomb from going off here at the CIA headquarters. And as a reward, he gets a brand new son. Yeah. (laughs) Not just the Medal of Freedom, but like replaces family so that we are supposed to feel better about the loss of the son before. Now he's going to adopt this son in the paperwork nightmare that's ahead of them for that. And then, of course, he gets an instant family again so his life can be put back to normal now that he put this whole thing to bed, which, of course, we all know is not how psychological trauma works. That's not how grief works. Yeah, that's not how it works, folks. So, Stuart, Arnie, do you recommend collateral damage? Stuart. You know, when we talked about Six Day, I basically call that a complete loss. Here, I'm more in what you guys were arguing. There is something here. There was a movie that was worth exploring about U.S., Latin American politics, taking that structure of Apocalypse Now, one of my very favorite movies, having someone go downriver who, into the madness and learning step by step how we got enmeshed in this country and not being able to get himself out. All of that could be very powerful. It will never, ever work with the star of Kindergarten Cop. It just cannot happen. And he's behaving. In many cases, like he's still in Jingle all the way. Again, throwing the dinosaur. Everything that happens in the last half hour of this movie should never have been attached to the movie that started this. It is a shame that they couldn't have gotten another actor because it was well-positioned to be a memorable movie about terrorism at a key point in American history where everyone's mind was on the subject. It could have been one of the most important movies of that decade, and instead, it's a really shitty Arnold movie that I think his old fans and the ones that came around to him in the 90s 
when he made more respectable movies, would turn on. I can't think of who would be well served by this film, except I guess maybe Arnold himself can hold it up as some kind of political ad. He's going to terminate the terrorists. He was going into politics. Maybe it works that he's this tough guy that can solve these real world problems, but I think it looks bad on him, and I vote you not watch Collateral Damage. Arnie. This is a movie that doesn't quite know what it wants to be. Does it want to be Commando, or does it want to be The Siege? It's neither fish nor flesh. It, in one hand, wants to reflect upon terrorism and American policies towards other countries and drug cartels, I guess, and how we invite the anger and the wrath of some foreign groups. And it also wants to have Arnold throwing an axe in somebody's chest and throwing a toy dinosaur out a window because it's a bomb. And these two things don't gel. And I agree, like we've said about a lot of recent Arnold films, a different actor in the lead could make this better, but I don't think with this ending it has and everything, it could make it work. Yeah, I wouldn't buy Harrison Ford throwing an axe any more than I'd buy Arnold throwing that axe and doing all of the chemistry stuff. You'd never have this ending. Never could make this ending work. Yeah, you'd have to make one movie or the other. Do your Apocalypse Now update or you make a silly Arnold action film. And the problem is this is way too boring to be a fun Arnold action film. And it's not great in the action when it tries to go there. Its highlight moments for me were when the guest star actors came in and we had somebody good for Arnold to play off of. He doesn't play off of the drug dealer's wife very well, and he doesn't play off of that boy very well. That boy isn't given much to do. It's an Arnold-only show, and it's a show I didn't enjoy watching, so no, it's a not recommend. Yeah, this movie really frustrated me. I see what you're saying, Stuart, that you are where we were with our episode of The Sixth Day, that we liked a lot of ideas up front and just didn't like where it ended up. I found the implausibility of this movie to be insulting. That was the real issue, is that the beginning of this movie is very well done. It's very powerful, that first scene with the bombing, and I even like the firefighter scene in the beginning. But one thing after another keeps reminding me of how implausible all of this is to the point where I'm having trouble suspending my disbelief. And that happens so early in the movie that they continue to ask you to suspend your disbelief farther and farther and farther to the points where it's stretched so thin, it's going to snap. And it snapped really early for me because of how they did have the bones of a good movie here, but they quickly did not find a way or kept on compromising the way they wanted to tell the story. A different actor? Maybe. A different profession for the lead character? Possibly. There are many different ways we can rewrite this movie to make it better, but as it stands, I just found it not to be entertaining, but insulting to me as the viewer. I thought last episode's movie was much more of an enjoyable ride, even though that was not a great movie. This is a solid red hour for me, versus last time where it was a meandering one, like a weaker one, because I did enjoy so many of the aspects they were trying to go for and some of the concepts they brought up in a fantastical way. Here, I didn't go along with it whatsoever. So yeah, this is a really bad way for us to end our Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie collection of podcasts. We're not calling it a retrospective, right? Whatever this is for Arnold, 
it's unfortunate we're going out this way. It could only end in this way, though. I would argue, for me, he's iconic. There's no taking away the fact that Arnold loomed large at the end of the decade as a movie icon. But it wasn't because he was a great actor. And it wasn't because he made great movies. And out of all of this, the two that I'm citing I really enjoyed, True Lies, because it was good, and End of Days, because it was bad. And I really did enjoy watching both of those. The rest of it was, you know, you should probably watch Commando 2 if you want to understand his appeal. I didn't really like it, but I get who he is when he presents himself in Commando. Other than that, a lot of these movies didn't serve him well. You know, Red Heat is not a good buddy cop movie. Six Day is not a good sci-fi movie. Eraser is not a good romantic thriller. I mean, these were attempts that do not work. Yeah, I agree with you there. But when I go to Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and even Stallone movies, Jason Statham movies, I'm not looking for anything beyond I want to be entertained with these action kind of movies. And there are certain caveats you have to give to enjoy these movies. And you're right. The collection that we watched here, unfortunately, were not good examples of those genres or the kinds of movies that we remember Arnold Schwarzenegger for and movies that we've, as now playing, have reviewed in different series and the best versions of those we've covered in other series. So these are kind of the leftovers, if you will. And we had trouble finding more than one good one. True Lies, I think, is the best far and away. I know Arnie loves the lax action hero. But I would think of all of these, the jewel is True Lies for sure. I'd say Last Action Hero over True Lies for the reasons I stated in that review of True Lies being overblown and having two action scenes too many. But I'm just glad we did this retrospective. I feel like the breaking point in Arnold's career is Batman and Robin, though. I think we've shown that at a certain point, and it was around Batman and Robin, that afterwards things went really downhill. Before that, they were uneven. I think they've always been uneven in Arnold's career. Now that we've looked at all of this, there's been hits, there's been misses. He's not been a golden boy where you could guarantee just because he was in a movie, it was going to be a good movie. But I had a lot of fun watching most of these films. It was in the later years when the action started to change and his body started to change. And It's not that he's older, it's that the older Arnold made different choices, and the choices didn't serve him as well. Yeah, also I would argue, though, that the one-two punch of Eraser and Batman and Robin really did it, and Junior, the same year as True Lies, could be seen as the beginning of the real end for him. But yeah, who knows? I agree with most of what you said there, too, that the fact that he got older and made different choices, he was unable to transition that strongly until much later. If you've watched any of his more recent stuff after he was the governor and he has done Maggie and I haven't seen, I think it's Aftermath or Afterlife. I haven't seen that one yet with the plane crash, but I liked him and Maggie very much. The Last Stand, Extraction. He reminds me of an older Clint Eastwood in those movies. And I think those vehicles are stronger examples of an older Arnold Schwarzenegger transitioning into age-appropriate action movies than the last few we just watched as part of this group. The compliment I have for Arnold was he was a great bodybuilder. He really excelled at that sport. He popularized that sport. And he really presented a gregarious, complicated, almost villainous persona if you watch Pumping Iron. And then he was lucky enough to meet James Cameron, who understood how to take that and make it work in some really good movies. 
And that's kind of where Arnold is for me. I feel like beyond that, he never really worked. And the movies would have always been better with someone a little bit more relatable, a little more human in the lead. But I guess we're not done. We haven't covered his comedies yet, but the holidays are approaching. (laughs) And I think it's been decided, God help me, (laughs) that for December patrons, we are going to jingle all the way. It makes a lot of sense to do it now, though. I mean, come on. If we're ever going to cover that movie and do it for the holidays, this is the year to do it after doing all these other Arnold movies. Absolutely. And think of it as me saving you, Stuart. We're not doing a full retrospective series because there is Jingle All the Way 2 with Larry the Cable Guy. I'll take that bullet. I'll be the Jingle All the Way fan who has to watch that sequel. Instead, we're doing it in December as a Christmas gift to our patrons of $10 or more. And also, we'd be remiss to mention, if we haven't mentioned, that Jake Lloyd also is in Jingle All the Way. As in, the movie that probably propelled him to be... I did not know that. Yes. So it's notable to watch him in there, and that's the reason we have him as Anderson Skywalker, I'll be so bold to say, is because of Jingle All the Way. Oh my god. And I dare say, George Lucas has never seen Jingle All the Way, or he would have gone a different direction, but that's to be discussed in December. So we're leaving Arnold action movies behind, but this Friday, the new Black Panther movie opens, and... I can't wait to talk about the action. Hope it's better better than the last one. Wakanda Forever. Is it an action movie? I'm not even sure from the trailers. They certainly aren't advertising action. They're advertising a lot of drama. And I'm so curious about this movie. They're playing it cagey. How do you go forward without Chadwick Boseman? Well, we're going to find out. I'm going Thursday night, opening officially on Friday. And you can hear us discuss that in one week on Tuesday here at Now Playing. And our patrons of $25 or more will be able to hear that show unedited and early that weekend. And if you're a platinum-level donor, this Friday you want some weirdness and unexpectedness. They call it a horror movie classic. I just call it The Wicker Man. And I hope you can join me. It's Christopher Lee doing his hammer horror kind of thing in a way that is unexpected. It's got one of those twist endings. A really highly unusual musical. How about that? Never seen it? I'm curious? Mmm, it is curious. I don't know how you could not be. But we're covering the 1973 movie this Friday, and in future weeks, its official sequel. And yes, that Nick Cage thing as well. Well, I'm looking forward to that myself. I haven't seen that one yet, so I'm looking forward to watching that along with you guys and listening to the review when we'll be back. Hey, I know when it's time to retire. Thank you for listening to this Now Playing Podcast movie review. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Let's use me on Morgan! Let's use me on Morgan! Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Thanks for your advice. It's only good advice if you take it. Want more reviews like this one? In the archives section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts, including The Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and many more at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Have it over! Support from listeners like you keeps Now Playing Podcast on the air.
You can donate directly at nowplayingpodcast.com. It's my livelihood! Let me die here! And you can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. The American people will pay for this mistake in blood. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Well, if I don't do it, it seems no one else will. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Don't worry, I will make it work. Now Playing is edited by Santiago and Arnie. In the struggle Listen. for liberation, there's no room for mistakes. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. Americans hide behind family values, false ideas. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Oh, no kidding. The firemen escaped the fire. (laughs) Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. God damn you. I was your excuse to kill all these people, huh? Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2022, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hey, if you don't want me to fix your engine, just say so. I go back home. Bye. And Stuart. Arnie. He's looking for a quote, I bet. Yep, I forgot a quote. And this is the now playing co-host into Discipline and Punishment, Arnie. (laughs) Looking for a quote, and that's the one I find. (laughs) Now that's fine. It works.